Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. We are here with episode 158 of the main show. And Nolan, you are really, really on a martial arts hype train at the moment. Mm-hmm. Let's introduce this movie with the coolest name in cinema history. From Hong Kong, China, weighing in at 120 minutes, <laughs> one-armed swordsman, and thankfully, I now feel like, after being at the gym, the dead-armed swordsman, so <laughs> I definitely relate with uh, the character in this movie. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't expecting either of us to be able to relate to a one-armed swordsman. I'm very glad that you now do. Thank you to Nolan's local gymnasium for wrecking his arm. <laughs> applause to Nolan's local gymnasium. Applause. I'd, I'd, I'd applause, but I can't move my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Even lifting well, my cup of tea is, like, fucking painful. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that is the movie we are talking about today. One-Armed Swordsman from 19... 19- 67. It is from Hong Kong. It's a martial arts movie. It's a kung fu movie. It's also a sword fighting movie. It appears to be Nolan because I was totally unfamiliar with uh, this movie or movies of this specific kind that in mainstream Chinese martial arts movies before Jackie Chan there was Bruce Lee, and before there was uh, before Bruce Lee, there was Jimmy Wang Yu, who plays the one-armed swordsman in this movie, Fang Kang. Now, and before he's that was the guy Donnie Yen played in IP Man. Well, yes, that's a fair mm-hmm. point as well. But you are on you are on this uh, this martial arts. I notice you have been watching a lot of Chinese movies as well lately. I think since we talked about Fist of Fury on this show a couple of weeks ago, you, you've kind of been non-stop. It set you off on this path. I want to hear all about this path. Oh, I, I'm going to go further than that. You know what? I spent twenty quid on on eBay the other week. I don't that? know if it's I don't know if it's any good, but it looks awesome. What is that? That is a video game entitled Jet Li Rise to Honor. Okay, have you watched any Jet Li movies in your little? Uh, I have only seen the, my only experience with Jet Li. Sadly, is Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor and Lethal right. Weapon Four. Right. Well. I always knew he was a badass growing up, though. So I'm going to go look into his films when I can. Well, I'm look, you picked this movie. Why did you pick this one? Did you pick this one because you thought it had the coolest name? Honestly, it, what I was expecting was a fun time, a fun rollicking romp of a sword fighting movie with a nice little gimmick, one-armed swordsman, because I thought that was the coolest name for a movie I'd ever seen. What I was not expecting was the emotional journey that goes along with it, because Damn, it is done very well. Oh, there's yeah, there's no there's no cheaping out in this movie. This is a full-on intense sh- action adventure movie. 
and I should advocate before we go any further. Now there is because this was made in the sixties, and you know, like different cultural stuff and everything. They do use some terminology regarding disabled people that is a bit outdated. It's very they true. Do use, they do use the word that rhymes with the thing that happens when you throw a stone into a pond. I mean, that's a that's a roundabout way of saying it, Nolan. But yes, yes, that's also true. Yes, uh, and you know that might slip out during this uh, episode. So I just want to give people a warning for that. If you are going to watch this, know that it does contain some dated language, especially if you are disabled or anything like that. I might actually just use the term amputee for the rest of this. It's a fair, yeah, it's a fair point. I've always found that other word to be kind of degrading, and especially not in this guy's case, because despite what happens to him, he's the biggest fucking badass in this movie. The thing is, he's not just a badass as well, though, but he's also, like, just the nicest person, the best human possible. It is a full-on hero's story you know he gets knocked down he gets back up and he fights the bad guys no it's oh. it's a simple structure but god it's effective it's such a i want to give credit to the director as well it's a very unusual episode of it's a wonderful podcast the main show because of course most of the time here we tend to talk about well, we certainly tend to talk about English language movies, but obviously mostly older American movies. What this show is also based around is not just celebrating older movies that we do every week, but discovering new, new older movies as well. And what better way of doing that than you know, darting ourselves all around the world in these various countries and just going, oh, okay, that sounds interesting from that particular country. Let's check out a movie of that style. And like, you know, like I said before, a couple of weeks ago, me and Nolan were on here talking about Bruce Lee in Fist of Fury, a Chinese Hong, uh, you know, a Chinese Hong Kong Kung Fu movie. Um, because we uh, stuff had just come out about Shang-Chi, I mm-hmm. think, Marvel's Shang-Chi. And then Nolan got really excited and wanted to talk about this movie, which predates, you know, it, it predates Fist of Fury by, like, five years. This is a whole different era. This is before hand-to-hand fighting in martial arts movies in China was the norm and everybody had little swords to fight each other with. Swords look so cool. They do. It's kind of this. It's it's almost this. It makes it feel like a transition from swashbucklers of like silent Hollywood and early the 30s and that sort of stuff. Oh, and then we're still on that. In the late 60s here, in China, right before the action or the swashbuckling turns to fisticuffs. Because there's very there's very few fisticuffs in this movie, Nolan. But very few. There's a hell of a lot of excellent, excellent choreographed sword fighting. And I just 
I mean, I, I said I wanted to give credit to the director. The director, the director's name is Chang Che, who made, who in this instance made a beautiful movie to look at in every sense. The color is incredible. Oh. The sets are beautiful. It's shot really, really well. I. I had, I had so much fun watching this movie. I don't know a great deal about this kind of movie, admittedly. I don't. I believe this one-armed swordsman is quite a lengthy series of, of movies that came out of this uh, Shaw Brothers studio in, in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this, this being the first ones. I'm just discovering new movies, Nolan. You've made yeah. me do it again. And I, I love that um, in a world where, like, it seems all movie discussion is about Hollywood, you have, I mean, this is not just for back in these olden days, it's up to current now. You have China, yeah. which has its own film industry and its own film stars and their own style of storytelling. And it's just so cool owning that. I mean, I can see a lot of influence this movie would have on, like, some later movies that we might all know more. You know, I, after I watched this movie, I immediately watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for the first time. Yeah. And you can very much see the influence from, like, the colors and the cinematography and everything that Ang Lee must have clearly been inspired by these kind of wuxia Hong Kong martial arts films. And I guess the sword fighting, I, I mean, I don't know much about the culture of how uh, fighting evolved in China. You know, obviously, I'm not Chinese. But I, I chalk that up to it was around the era of swashbuckling where like heroes like Zorro and like Errol Flynn were popular. And this was like almost China doing their version of that, but owning it, making it all about their culture and then just taking it to the next level. Because whilst those like Errol Flynn movies and all, they're really fun to watch. What I don't usually get from them is that sort of character connection. And you really get that with this. And I should explain the, the way he loses his arm is it's almost comical in a way it's like he's he's fighting with these other students in his i don't know i don't know if you would call it a dojo but we'll call it sword school and the daughter of his sword master in anger because she can't beat him just swings the sword and cuts off his arm and it's something else i noticed it's in terms of sound design, I think a lack of sound design can also be just as effective because when you hear a sword strike, you're kind of trained to expect like a slicing sound. There's no yeah. slicing sounds in this, and it makes the blood and the reaction a lot more shocking. Feels almost like what might happen if it was to happen in real life. You know, it's very sudden and then all suddenly this guy has no arm. Yeah. It is kind of a it's a very, very abrupt way at the at the beginning of this movie that he that he does lose his arm i think we should provide some context to what's going on in this movie though in quite a similar fashion to fist of fury there's basically two rival grandmasters of the sword or whatever you want to call them who have this rivalry that goes back clearly years and years and years. There was this whole big argument in the past. Now their schools of students have basically just kind of got it in for each other because that's how legacy works, I guess. Um, There's obviously 
to me a lot of historical accuracy in the depiction of these kinds of martial arts schools in China. Like you said before, Nolan, we're not Chinese people. We don't have any real knowledge, unfortunately. I've never been to China. I would quite like to go to China at some point in my life. I, I find the place generally fascinating. But I have little knowledge, admittedly, of the vast history of that country. But from what I'm led to believe, this kind of stuff was similar to in, in Japan. You've obviously got, I'm, I'm say I'm more familiar with, with Japan and the legacy of samurais and its martial arts schools and legacies and that sort of thing than I am with China. But I can only imagine it, it's of a similar vein. So in that realm, I guess it's understandable and similar. Um, but we have these two rival factions, let's call them, because that's essentially what they are. And uh, you've got Fang Kang, who's, who we see father passes away due to a sword fight in like the beginning of the movie. That's kind of like a start start the movie with a flashback kind of situation or start the movie in the past um and then he's now a grown man he's kind of this servant slash i'm actually the best swordsman at this school at this particular school and he, he doesn't seem to get on with everybody there even though the daughter of the teacher kind of likes him but she's a bit too, like, weird to tell him. I don't know why she doesn't tell him, really. She's the one who ends up chopping his arm off. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, she gets in, they get, like you said, they get into a, a kind of ridiculous argument where they just want him to fight back, and he doesn't want to do it, and he's just kind of being very defensive. So she just gets mad when he eventually kind of throws her to the floor and swings the sword and slices his arm off. It's very intense. Yeah, and it's like that's the kind of thing you would expect to for the villain to do. Mm. And it It's not. It's like, I love this kind of character because, I mean, you're trained to sort of root for characters who struggle and who are not like at the top of their leagues. This guy clearly is at the top of his league. But he's so humble about it. It's like he knows the value of what fighting is for. It should be used for defense, never offense. Whereas exactly. this girl and two other guys are clearly doing it to try and prove themselves. And they're getting angry and they're letting that get in the way of it. Which, yeah. of course, leads to the arm getting cut off. And then the father coming out and being like, what did you do? Don't lie to me. And full on slapping them around. Yeah. And it's like just it. it's a fun little setup for this character, man. I like him as well because oh, I, I want to remember his name. He's also the teacher in Fist of Fury. I thought he the guy familiar. who he 
I th- I I immediately recognised him, but I was like, oh, where where is it? Where is he from? Where do I recognise him from? And he he is the teacher in Fist of Fury. I want to get his name. I want to get his name. Where's his name? His name is uh his name is Feng Chen. I hope I have pronounced that correctly. Or Chen Feng Chen maybe. Um, is that the character's name or the actor's name? That, no, that's the actor's name. That's the, the actor's, actor's name. He did a great job. Everybody yeah. did a great job. I mean, a great ultimately, sense of vulnerability uh, with him too. Do you know what there really is? There really is. You hit the nail on the head when you said this guy Fang Kang, the the lead of the movie, is at the top of his game, but he's very very humble about it, and because you know. He becomes armless through the course of this movie. We see a, a intense struggle from him as well. He nearly dies. He has to be nursed back to health by the the, the farming people, who are obviously lovely and, and act as, as their perfect help character kind of roles. The daughter ends up having a romancy romancy with him and i actually buy the romance in it like it's developed well and even that moment this was one of my favorite moments in the movie when he's so down on himself and thinks i've been trained for so long to be using both my arms now that i have it it feels almost like i'll never get back to it but then this woman just encourages him like no you can train yourself to do better you have that will in you you can do it and then the next scene where he's fishing and he catches a fish and it's the biggest fish there. That's I think that's when I knew this movie was going to be very special. It's going for these really great emotional beats as well as great sword fights and really fun, almost comic booky villains. They are. They are. I mean, oh God, those two horrendous little weaselly cretins who belong to the villain school who just kind of come around at every given opportunity, try and hit on the girl, and then end up crying and running away after somebody beats them up. They're the most aggravating people. (laughs) There's nothing complex about them. You're not getting, like, Heath Ledger's Joker-level villain here. You're not. No, you're not. not. But But you don't have to do their job, and it works. They do. I particularly loved how the sort of main antagonist, not like the main guy that they fight at the end, but the main antagonist for a lot of the movie, is a man named Smiling Face. I love Smiling Face. I mean, I hate his laugh, but I love him. That sounds... He acts and sounds like a comic book supervillain. And it's kind of incredible. He does. Smiling Face is the... I'd say, like, deputy head of this particular school the kind of main guy he's oh what's his name long arm or something like that it's because he uses bow and arrows so they call him long arm i think i think it's long arm um smiling face i mean admittedly nolan this movie we watched i believe on amazon prime it it is uh, available only in a fairly bad english dub which is why I'm going to look for either a DVD or a Blu-ray of these, because I cannot do these English dubs anymore. No, you did the English dub of Fist of Fury as well, didn't you? Oh, God, I, f- I do feel sorry for you with that one. 
thankfully yeah. my blu-ray of crouching tiger hidden dragon let me change the language to chinese good how it, good. how it was filmed and how it should be seen i just think when when you watch a, a full movie like this like you know like a movie like this as well that is based so heavily on particular emotional beats it, the story itself might be fairly by the numbers you know fully expected but it is the perfect emotional manipulation of a a guy who's humble but brilliant who gets a serious you know who has to go through serious trauma and serious struggle to get back up and get his revenge ultimately but it's and not this no, and there's no like real reason for his trauma either it's literally no. a petty accident no. like they, they i love that even when it happened they were sort of immediately remorseful and they were like oh fuck what have i done i mean you've still done it but they weren't like you deserved it it wasn't they didn't do a thing where it's like oh i'm so jealous that you have my father's affection and i'm gonna become the bad guy now because that would have been very cheesy yeah no i didn't i didn't i wouldn't have wanted that i wouldn't have wanted that at all um i it, it is a shame that the dub i always feel takes away from getting the full performance of the actors because you you don't hear them emote you see them emote in their faces and in their movements and in their eyes so i can wholeheartedly say that that side of the performances in this movie particularly the guy who, you know, Jimmy Wang Yu, who played Fang Kang, was excellent. But unfortunately, we couldn't actually hear any of those people speak. This is why, when we were talking about Fist of Fury a couple of weeks ago, I was... I, I always love Bruce Lee's screams and shrieks and kind of intense monologues almost at times and just really punching line delivery but if you're watching that in an english dub you're not gonna get that and i feel like that element while i didn't well it didn't kind of dampen the experience of watching this movie for me i can tell it was there and i could tell that i wasn't getting the full movie that i should be getting i don't like english dubs i would i i want to I, watch a movie in its original language it's like can you imagine if pan's labyrinth had an english dub well if anything i i, I even wouldn't watch anime movies in an english dub and i know Apparently, there are some fantastic ones out there. I and feel it differently doesn't... that because the characters are drawn and thus the voice acting kind of allows for a different take on the performance that can still work. When it's real people, it does take away from it. And I understand that. 
I understand that point with with animated movies, but I still think it is just it, it always feels more authentic knowing that oh I'm watching a German movie in German. I'm watching a Japanese movie in Japanese. I'm watching a Chinese movie in one of several Chinese languages. And if I can go on a quick rant here. Please do. Hollywood, stop making English remakes of foreign films. Yeah, not when you don't need to. Another one just got announced, fucking another round that got nominated for an Oscar, and now DiCaprio is going to be in a remake of it for English. You don't need I know there's one for Parasite, but apparently the original creator is still involved in it, so who knows, that might be all right. The only good English-language remake of a foreign film that I can confidently say I would watch as much as I would watch the original is The Ring. Because Gore Verbinski yeah. He knew what he was doing with it. He didn't try and like completely change the material, and he respected the source. Whereas the reason for a lot of these existing is just like, oh yeah, the audience doesn't want to read subtitles, so we're going to make it in English. And that's like a very cynical way of looking at filmmaking for me. I mean, I, I can maybe give The Departed also, like, that's a decent movie, but also you could just, oh, watch, Infernal. Yeah, that is you could a... just watch Infernal Affairs. I forgot it's, The Departed was essentially a remake. It's the it's exact same movie, but it's in Boston instead of Hong Kong. I haven't ever seen uh, Infernal Affairs, what it's based on, actually. Oh, uh, Tony Lung, who's playing the Mandarin in Shang-Chi, is in that movie. Plus, okay. I also watched the uh, hard-boiled with him recently, and he's very good in that. Okay, you're going on such a journey of martial arts movies, Nolan. I love it. This is martial like when I did my whole pre-code thing. They're all great. I, love I haven't loved a lot of like American crime films, but Hong Kong crime films and Japanese crime films have just a different level to them. I I honestly think with movies like this, it is a beauty aspect a visual beauty because seriously this movie is stunning to look at i said no muted colors the blood is bright red the blood or the blood is like hammer blood i love it it's my favorite type of movie blood bright red and that looks like paint because it probably is paint why is that a bad thing? It's not. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. Make it have impact. Make it stand out every chance you can get because that's what colour should be doing in a movie. If you don't make colour... If you don't have colour be necessary, then your movie might as well be in black and white. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Because it doesn't matter at that point. But when colour is used so beautifully, oh, it adds so much. This is why I love it. Movies like this, it, it so bold, so beautiful. The snow, the snow, Nolan, in a lot of this movie. When he's, when he's just lost his arm and he's stumbling through all that snow and it's the night time and he's crossing that bridge and there's the river and there's that little headlamp and there's trees, snow-covered trees everywhere and it's just very clearly a set that someone has built and that a hell of a lot of time and craft 
has gone into making this particular shot, not to mention all the other shots in the damn movie that are beautiful as well. But oh my God, I loved it. I was loving every second of looking at this movie. Not just the story, because the story is perfectly expected, satisfying. You get, you know what you're kind of coming for, and you get that delivered to you on a nice little platter. It's, it's good. You like it. You enjoy it. You're not going to complain. But the fact that it also looks as good as it does elevates it that one step higher. You get your sword fighting. It's great. Absolutely great. And the fact that the character drama is just as good as all the sword fighting and the cinematography, like, yeah, that's great too. Like, I'm surprised that when people talk about like Hong Kong films and like Chinese films and stuff, this movie's not brought up a lot. Like, you won't see this mentioned as much as like a Fist or a Fury or the Enter the Dragon or even Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon to an extent. And I think it should be, because I can see the influence that it would have for all those movies. Well, that's why I found it quite weird and, and interesting that I hadn't heard of this movie or, or movies of this particular subgenre, shall we call it. Um, I guess it's kind of like the hammer horror of Chinese cinema, in a way. It, it existed in a time period for a short amount of time. And then inspired like what would come on later, and there hasn't really been much of a revival of it since. Oh no, it seems to be this kind of this kind of martial arts movie in China seems to be a or it seems to be the first major you know player as a as a as a genre, as an action genre coming out of China. The Kung Fu sword fighting mix movie of the late 60s with, you know, um, with Chang Che at the helm of them and, and Jimmy Wang Yu starring in them with this one-armed swordsman series being the biggest one from what I can gather. And then obviously a few years later, Bruce Lee comes on the scene anyway and just kind of takes over. Yeah, and then because... Jackie Chan, and then Jet Li, and then Donnie oh, Yen, exactly. and all these, and uh, Zhang Zi from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon too. I think she should get some credit as well. Sure, sure. Chow Yun Fat's in Crouching Tiger. Well, Chow Yun Fat is also in Hard Boiled, and it's a great movie. I, I that's in the nineties, but I would also recommend you check that out. It's a John Woo film. It's very good. A John Woo. John Woo. You know what you're getting with John Woo, Nolan? How many doves are in that movie? There's a lot of doves in the finale. Of course there is. Of course there is. Obviously, John Woo. <laughs> Love it. This was, that that was before John Woo started making English language films, I think. Mm. He still brought the doves with him, though, didn't he? I mean, it's a, it's a director trait. Yeah, you got to keep it in there. you got to keep it in there. Mm. But yeah, look, I... I'm obviously, people know this, I am a very visual person when it comes to watching movies. I watch movies for what they look like more than what they're about, really, most of the time, and what they're trying to say. Um, I focus on what they're trying to say a, a lot of the time, more than actually what they're about, which is That's why you've got me here to counterbalance it. 
it is, it is. It's a blessing and a curse sometimes. So I've had my little showcase of love for the visuals of the movie. For the you would probably be really great things. at like directing short films since they're very reliant on visuals. Yeah, that's true. I probably wouldn't though. I'm not going to give myself that amount of credit. But Nolan, <laughs> I uh, I would love, I would love you to delve on in to the character struggle of one-armed swordsman and the overcoming the barriers of having one arm. I mean, let's get real for a second. That final fight, I mean, not only does the one-armed swordsman completely kick the ass of Smiling Man, or whatever they call him. <laughs> smiling Face, I think. Smiling He's Face, probably called yeah. called Smiling Man. Mr. Smile. And there's also a really fun scene where he uses some like kind of sleeper trick on uh, the girl. I mean, they do the whole damsel in distress thing. And then immediately onwards from that, One-Armed Swordsman is in a bar fight with swords and shuriken and everything, and it's fucking great. He picks up a large case of wine with his one arm, and it's like, fuck. Holy shit. This guy has one arm, and he could kick the ass of all of you with his eyes closed. I love when he's kind of learning to fight again after being kind of nursed back to health for some time. And he, he realizes that, okay, hand to hand wise, he can still use his left arm pretty well, but because he's been taught so predominantly to use a sword with his right hand or to use this particular type of sword with his right hand, it's very difficult for him to get to grips with that sword. But then when he finds out, nice little trick he can do. Does some studying, doesn't he? Yep. He gets the, uh, he cuts the sword basically in half because apparently your, your secondary weapon, your secondary sword that you use with your left hand is a hell of a lot shorter than the one used with your right hand. So it makes more sense to him to cut his sword in half. So he's got like a little tiny sword now, mm -hmm. but it's just as, it's more effective yeah, because he can and, use it now. And the main final fight we should be talking about is when the students of the school come to the bad guy's student school. It's a big brawl. It's a big massacre. They all get killed, but they're like, and then... Fang Kang comes back and legit the first thing they say to him is like you don't have to die for us you can just go like this is fine but he's like no I have to be here and I love heroes who are like that who are... yeah he's and, pure and then, he is absolutely pure and this main bad guy with like the uh bows sticking out of his back I mean he looks like the final boss in a video game and the fight's even kind of structured like that I can see how it would like influence how video games would come to be because it goes through different stages of the sword fight and everything and then he takes out a last minute weapon when his health's down to try and yeah. whip him to bits he's one armed swordsman's getting his ass kicked and like and you see the blood and you see the bruising and everything i love fights like this where you can actually see the effect of the fight on them as it's happening it's why i love the end of the first sam raimi spider-man movie so much yeah and and he gets the upper hand and he just fucking kills this guy. And you feel like cheering after it. It's like, 
this dude's become so far and he's he's changed in a way that he's adapted to his new situation but he hasn't changed who he is as a central character and whilst i love like the whole character arc and hero's journey stuff i can really respect characters who don't change their core values but people around them get inspired by them i think that's the core of like why superman works that's why paddington works that's why a lot of those like big sort of mythical fairy tale characters work and in here it works as well this is almost like i could imagine this story being a fairy tale that you would tell in the chinese family like the tale of the one-armed swordsman 100 percent. it feels like an old legend it doesn't it it feels like one of those kind of movies you could you can sub you could substitute this story structure for a movie set in ancient greece and it would be the same yes. you you have seen movies like that that are set in ancient greece about pure heroes who suffer severe setback but keep going keep fighting and defeat evil in the end. That's essentially all what this movie is. I mean, that's that like every Greek myth. Exactly, that is what myths and legends are all about. It does feel very much like one of those. I like that. Because it really does. I uh, I will ask you, though, uh, you mentioned the different weapons that are used in this movie. What do you make of the uh, the sword locker Oh, I mean, that was a pretty cool one to look at. I had no idea what a sword locker was until I saw this. It's not even an offensive weapon. It's an incredibly defensive weapon, but it's incredibly effective. It's like the sort of circular thing with the blades on it, right? Yeah, the thing that that you clip and mm-hmm. when, the, when the other dudes swing in their sword around, you just kind of lock it and then stab them with the dagger that you've got in your other hand. It's a very, it's a defensive but also an offensive weapon. But it's, I guess its main use is defense, so you can get in for the offense. It works both ways. Do you um? It is is the best type of offense a good defense, Nolan? Do you hold yes. that saying true? Mm-hmm. Or, or or do you uh? Do you well, stand by? Uh the best offense i think you should always go into a fight knowing it's defense but if you have to use some offense for that if the situation calls for it do it i mean i'm not going to be getting into any fights anytime soon no not with your one arm that's currently in use even though you have got two arms god honestly it's like even picking up my phone hurts I sound like such a wimp, but honestly, I hate being in this kind of pain. If you do go to the gym, do not overextend yourself. Take it slow. You don't have to be like the big fucking protein bearded guys who look like they just came trying of a video game. Had you just watched One-Armed Swordsman and were like, I have to be the best. (laughs) I have to be better than the One-Armed Swordsman. No, I was just always... I was always Going raised to... to say, like, if you're in the gym, if you're exercising, you always have to push yourself. And that's voice is always at the back of my mind when I'm exercising. It's kind of harmful if I think about it now. Like, don't push yourself sure. if you're going to get injured. Well, exactly, yeah. Push yourself to an extent. Don't push yourself to the point of severe injury. That's too far. 
Yeah, and I don't have an fun. ice bath or anything to rest this in, or any ice packs. Got a bag of frozen peas, but I don't think that'll help. I think it will. I think that's what you should be doing. Because it comes to a point where common sense has to take over, Nolan. And you just have to realise, I'm going to hurt myself here. I should stop. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what you need to do. The funny thing is, it wasn't even I wasn't even lifting heavy weights. I was getting low weights and doing a lot of reps, like 15 per set, three sets. That was it. I thought I'd be fine, but no. Baby steps, Nolan. Baby steps. And step. also, I know they look cool, but battle ropes in the gym are fucking sore. Battle I ropes? Probably, I think that's probably what caused this. You know, like the big rope that you have on the floor and you sort of do this shit with it? Oh, you whip it around? Yeah. <laughs> I don't... What are they... What do they even do? I've never understood what they do. They just look like fun. I they think they like... just, I think they're meant to exercise like your upper bicep and your chest, depending on the movement you're doing. They look like there should be somebody else at the other end of the rope jumping. They're not double dutch. That's what it looks like. This though. isn't that movie with Corbin Blue from the mid two thousands. It feels like it should. It feels like it should be a Disney Channel original movie, no? You in the gym with ropes going, whipping them around on the floor. It's exactly yeah. what it feels like. I'll stick to doing cardio and other body parts for now while my arm heals. And sword play? Sword play, maybe. There is a fencing uh, lesson place around here somewhere. Oh, Go for it. I will not, however, I will not be going to the Renfrew Victory Baths at the indoor swimming pool. Because my front stroke will not be very strong and I will probably <laughs> drown. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Adam, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough at that point. It really is. I am just thankful, ultimately, that I have now been introduced to a whole new subgenre of movies and have another movie to uh tick off on my chinese movies watch list which is always nice isn't it mm -hmm. it's nice expanding your international movie watching Indeed. i always like doing that i always like doing that that's what i've i've, I've that's what i like about this show sometimes i think that's it's probably what i'm going to be watching for the foreseeable future just more martial arts movies, or more, or, or various international more, movies. More, more martial arts because that's what I'm into right now. But like, I'll be looking at uh, other films from different countries and stuff. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's got one coming out this year that I'm very excited about. He's doing, I think it's an either Italian or Spanish version of Pinocchio, but like proper dark and like the original story. So that's actually happening, is it? It's been filmed. It's coming out on Netflix this year at some point. Um, I'm hoping for like a Pan's Labyrinth, but Pinocchio feel. It's going to be stop motion. Probably going to be very oh. good. Oh, it's probably going to be horrendously dark. If it's especially if it's stop motion as well. Oh, oh, I'm into that. Yes. Imagine all the children turning into donkeys in that movie. Oh Christ, that's going to be terrifying. It was terrifying when Disney did it, so 
I mean, God I help we'll us have another Pan Labyrinth on our hands when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Spanish fairy tales. Much but like... Looking at like other filmmakers who are making new martial arts and new international movies now. I'll be looking through the Oscar list of all the international films and watching those. Watching the actual movie of another round and not the DiCaprio version that will likely come out on a streaming service next year. Do you because ever... no girl want to see it. No, I don't think so. But do you ever like kind of half forget that Leo DiCaprio still acts in movies because he kind of doesn't anymore? I think he just took a break after he won an Oscar. Like a really long break. He's probably a vaping. A really on his... long break. He's vaping on his private island, probably. Has he not done one movie since like 2015 and that was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? That was it. Yeah. Actually, he's probably, long he's probably not on a private island because I reckon DiCaprio can't be near water after Titanic. <laughs> His take is still after all this time, he can't do water. He just doesn't like it. He can't. DiCaprio will not be cast in the inevitable Jaws remake. He's so he's so fearful of freezing to death again. <laughs> he can't do it. Well, I don't know. As, 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 as I said once upon a time in Hollywood there, but speaking of uh speaking of Tarantino, there's another influence. Oh, you. definitely. I could see how this Massive. would have inspired like Kill Bill and stuff like that. That it did very much so remind me of the final fight in Kill Bill Volume One between the bride and Lucy Lou in the little snowy place at the back of the main whatever it is. I forget what it is now, the building where with the building where she fights everybody. The eighty-eight people. And then she goes in the back and it's snowing and it's beautiful. It's all framed perfectly. As is this movie. There were scenes in One Armed Swordsman that reminded me very, very much of that particular scene in, in Kill Bill. However, there was no slicing of the top of someone's head off. In this no. movie, unfortunately, however, there was plenty of slicing of other things. There was no weird Superman monologue that's completely wrong. No, there wasn't. But that is Kill Bill Volume mm -hmm. Two, unless you watch them both together. I mean, I consider them to be one movie in two parts. Yeah, kind of. So do I. That's true. Um, it's like with Lord of the Rings; that's essentially one story told over three films. I mean, four if you count the Hobbit. What about Harry Potter? Same kind of it's thing. It's Harry one Potter story told over seven books. Well, yeah, but uh, can you can you just watch Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix without watching the rest of them? Sure. I mean, you can enjoy them as standalone films, but if I'm watching Potter, I'm probably going to watch from Philosophers onwards. Really? See, I can just put anything on and happily just sit myself in that particular time. Of Harry Potter. I feel you on Lord of the Rings, though. I have to watch Lord of the Rings all the way through from the very start. Yeah, That's extended edition Blu-rays. You're here for 12 hours. Make sure you've got a nice pot of tea of next to you. Of course. Has to be done with something like that. Has Although I won't blame you if you don't do the same for the Hobbit trilogy. 
Um, no, I think I've seen each of them once. And if you are more. interested, uh, there is a cut of The Hobbit that I found that takes the footage from all three movies and puts it into one watchable four-hour film that's <laughs> a lot more like the book <laughs> instead of eight hours of nonsense that was added to give nostalgia to Lord of the Rings. Unnecessary Legolas and Sauron and the rest of it. Oh, yeah. That you don't need. Unfortunately, though, the smog scene is... Uh, a lot of stuff's cut out from that. I liked that the smog scene in the theatrical release was very long and extended, because I just like that character. I don't really remember a great deal about the Hobbit movies, to be honest. I, I don't really think don't. anyone does. Sometimes I do forget they exist. I forget a lot of things exist. Like Leo DiCaprio, as we just found out. But I will not now forget that the one-armed swordsman exists, Nolan. And to be quite honest a, with you, right. I want to go and watch The Return of the One-Armed Swordsman now. I want and, to go the, and, watch it now. and the new one-armed swordsman, who, if I read rightly, I think I think it was Jimmy O. Yang's kid who played the new That's one. The new one? Well, I know there's, I think there's three movies, and the last one's called The New One-Armed Swordsman. And if I'm not mistaken, oh, the actor is his kid. Well, I, I could be wrong on that, though. Oh, no, I don't think so. Because the new One-Armed Swordsman came out in 1971. So that's just... No, it's just another guy who's who's, who's one-armed. So it'll be like a passing of the torch kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, it's just another dude. Although if you got like a... I mean, these movies are great, but if you got like a great Chinese filmmaker now, like, like John Woo or something like that, to remake this, or Ang Lee to remake it, I would see it. Sure, but it'd have to look nice. It'd have oh, to if it if it's done by Ang Lee, you know it's going to look colourful well, and that's, poppy. That, that's a, no, a fair point. That is a fair point. I would love you to see has... how John Woo would insert doves into it. Well, I think you could because it's just visually weird and bold. I'd be, he'd be into it. I'd be into it. I just love how it feels. It feels like it's a movie from the late 60s with its colour and with its kind of style and structure, I suppose, if I was to... It's almost the Chinese version of what I like to call a Sunday afternoon movie, which yeah. is your... Like, think of... I can't describe a Sunday afternoon movie without just listing off a load of Sunday afternoon movies. But a, a, a big Sunday afternoon movie, for example, would be something like Spartacus. Is the perfect Sunday afternoon movie because it's so long. It's sword and sandal. It's, it's so easily structured. You know exactly what you're getting with it. But you sat there for hours watching it. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, feels like a Chinese version of what I like to call a Sunday afternoon movie. So I loved it for that. It also does and not for... feel its length. This was two hours long, and I know martial arts films tend to be not shorter. So I was worried the pacing was going to be off. I wouldn't take one scene out of this. No, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I, But like I said, I do like that it does 
at times feel like a 60s movie with with that sense and certainly with the color and the effects just they feel like hammer horror and i love that i always will love that but then for a lot of it you feel like it's also like a movie from like two years ago mm-hmm. it's, it's down to the test of time it is so not remotely dated and look, you can call the effects whatever you can call the effects. I think too many people are too accustomed to huge budget CG Hollywood effects. Yeah, thanks, James Cameron. Honest. Pretty much thanks, James Cameron, yes. There is 98% of this movie that feels like it could have come out two years ago and been no different. The 2% yeah. is what you mentioned at the very, very start of this episode is slightly dated terminology. That's it. That's for my money anyway. That's it. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of this movie. Big fan. Big fan. Too. I, hell, I would love to watch the sequel and just make that our next episode. I mean, it's an idea. It definitely is an idea. Perhaps... We shall have a think on it, because perhaps we may want to discover something new again. Well, after this played on Prime, it went to another movie by the same studio with a different name on autoplay, and I caught the first two minutes of it because I was looking for the remote. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. You can find all sorts of weird, wonderful things on Prime, Nolan, and on, on various other things as well. We're not sponsored by Prime would be a yeah, silly I mean, thing. Such as do. James May's cooking show. No. <laughs> I said we're not sponsored by Prime. Let's not list off a load of nonsense Prime shows. Um but it's always nice to discover new old movies, as we love to do on It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. Of course we do. But just please make sure that if they are not in your native language, don't watch it in a dub. Yeah, basically. Watch let, it we in can, the language of the movie. We can rename this era of It's a Wonderful Podcast, Fuck English Dubs. Yeah, we can. We can. Watch it. For, for live action movies anyway. I think with anime you can get away with it, but not in live action. Watch it in the movie's native language because then you actually get the full performance of the actor rather than just half of it, which is still good. The half performance is still good, but it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. It's just not the like same. Like I said, imagine watching Pan's Labyrinth in English. Exactly. Exactly. That is my Thankfully, take. I did not watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in English for my first experience with it. Shouldn't No, you shouldn't have been doing that. You shouldn't have been doing that. I think the only thing missing from One-Armed Swordsman is, in fact, the ability to half-fly, glide, whatever the hell they actually do in Crouching Tiger, <laughs> Hidden Dragon, because it's not really either of those things, but it's kind of like weird Jedi jumping. I assume the sword gave them powers of some kind. Yeah, it's all very mystical and and stuff. In uh, in old crouching tiger, isn't it? Well, we love our MacGuffins. We don't have to explain them. They just are. 
Certainly. Certainly. Well, I think there we go for today's lovely episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast, The Main Show. We have been talking 1967's One-Armed Swordsman with Jimmy Wang Yu and directed by, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get his name right, Chang Che. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. If I'm not, I am a moron. But as you can clearly tell, I am also not Chinese. <laughs> so there you go. Nolan, anything else you would like to say about this movie or anything? I would say this movie is fantastic. You should definitely give it a watch. Don't be put off by the title. It, I know it does sound a little silly, but once you get past it, it's an incredible emotional story. It's got great fights, great choreography, great cinematography, everything. Definitely one to watch if you're a cinephile or if you just like good movies. And if yeah. you can, try and find a DVD or a Blu-ray if it exists and watch it in its native language. You you can probably watch it with the dub on Prime if you don't want to wait three days for eBay to deliver your DVDs. But uh, it's definitely worth it. And the stuff I would probably like to talk about about the current news... Okay, let's be honest. We all know the Oscars (laughs) fucked up. Yeah. yeah. But but I would like to offer a special congratulations to a couple of winners that I think absolutely deserve their awards, and I'm glad they got it. Chloe Zhao... Absolutely love that she got an award for, I believe it was both Best Picture and Best Director. I'm not sure. Uh, Could have been yes, either. I think so. I think it was And bad. I love that I can now say the sentence, Academy Award winning Daniel Kaluuya. I know. That's because good, if you've yeah. seen Judas and the Black Messiah, that dude fucking earned that Oscar. And I love that he used his Oscar speech to talk about his parents having sex. What a Chad move from Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think I could add anything else to that. Than and also, that. you will not be statement. getting any... We will not be making any It's a Wonderful Podcast NFTs, whatever the fuck they are, because they're weird. NFT? What's that? Ugh, it's, Have it's I missed some new, something? It's some new cryptocurrency thing. The Oscars made oh. an NFT of Chadwick Boseman to honor his memory, which seems very dodgy. It does. I don't even know what it is, and that seems dodgy. It's very dodgy. I don't and uh, un- Chadwick unfortunately, he no didn't win the Oscar for Best Actor. Anthony Hopkins did. We all know, because if you've been on Twitter, you've seen every fucking reaction to it. But I don't think an award will tarnish his memory or take away from it in any way. Chadwick Boseman was a great actor, and he always will be. It's very true. But it's also, very, congrats very to Chloe Zhao and Daniel Kaluuya. You guys earned it. You did. Absolutely. Applause to those two lovely people. I can't, I can't wait to watch No Man Land when it hits Disney+. Plus. That's a sentence I never thought I'd say. And I cannot Disney wait Plus? to see Eternals. Yeah, it's going to be on the star section of Disney+. Plus. Oh, of course, she's doing Eternals, isn't she? Yeah, Eternals, which I hear is like 90% shot on film with real places oh. and real acting, and I would oh. love to see a Marvel movie that's not 90% a green screen. Yes. Oh, even more applause for Chloe Zhao. Well done, Chloe even Zhao. More. I hope I'm pronouncing Probably your name a big correct. name. I reckon we're going to see a lot more of her. Hopefully. I hope so. You'd like to think so after a big Oscar win. 
You would like to think so. Good stuff. Good stuff there. Good stuff, but also like some not good stuff there, you know, the Oscars yeah. being ridiculous as always, but also, you know, some stuff is, some stuff's good. Some stuff's good. Some stuff's Ooh. good, some stuff's not. That's my. And speaking of Daniel Kalua, we got some news about Jordan Peele's next movie. Did we? Which I what imagine. <laughs> I imagine you will be watching on day one, just like me. Obviously. It stars Daniel Kaluuya, Stephen Yun, and oh. uh, Kiki Palmer as the villain. Stephen Yun's been doing great on oh, the show Invincible. The Kiki Palmer movie. I've oh, yeah. And this. from what I hear, it's set in a video store, and it's going to be very creepy. Is this going to be Jordan Peele's answer to Hugo and love letter to filmmaking with horror? I don't know, but if it's got his name on it, I'll fucking see it. It's probs gonna be very good. I'm into it. Of course, I'm into it. Why would I not be into it? It sounds wonderful, Nolan. Uh, and Stephen Yun's been killing it on the show Invincible, which is also on Amazon Prime, and you should check We're it not out because by Amazon Prime. it's great. <laughs> I haven't watched that either. I'm so behind on things. I am. I've been very far good. too interested. I have been far too interested in. Uh, Certain other things at the moment, which isn't anything sinister. It's not nothing sinister. It's just yeah. I don't Morgan's know. There's only so many hours in the day. and Bitcoin stuff. Certainly not. I am not <laughs> shifty or dodgy or any of those other words like that. Any synonyms of shifty or dodgy you can possibly think of. That is not me. Well. I think there we go. Now, officially, for episode 158 of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, One Arm Swordsman 1967, go and watch it, definitely. Just do it. You'll enjoy yourself. You will. I promise you that. It's a Wonderful Podcast. This show, the main show, is not the only show we have on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed, though. We have Machine Mondays every Monday with Janine the Machine talking all her schmow down things. We also have Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday with me and Janine, where she forces me to watch things that I hadn't seen. This last Wednesday, we did a, a double feature of the Happy Death Day movies, and I got very confused with Happy Death Day to you because not only was it time travel, but it was also parallel universes, and my brain can't do that. Is that what the Groundhog Day sequel would have been? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. But next week on Morgan Hasn't Seen, we're actually starting a faith-based comedy series, which is something Janine has been wanting to do for ages. Basically, it's just movies that are comedy movies about religion. I would probably it's, watch those. It's, it's, it's going to be quite interesting, I think, on Morgan Hasn't Seen. Machine Mondays is, of course, always interesting every Monday with Janine talking all the schmodown things. But Monday, Wednesday, Friday is this show we have you covered every week on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. And you can find that podcast feed on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and everywhere else you can find your podcasts. Or on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. You find me on Twitter at the Purple Don with a three instead of the E in the because three is the magic number. Number, yes. 
because it's the number has turned into a bro for wow, some flexing reason. your chad muscles exactly you said chad before and it's just got me in a bro mood don't know why yeah. it's the least... gonna go have a protein shake for his dinner that's the le- that's the least uh th- that's the least morgan appropriate mood to ever be in is a bro chad mood morgan. by the way you'll be like anthony michael hall and edward scissorhands <laughs> Or Anthony Michael Hall in the Breakfast Club pretending he's Anthony Michael Hall from Edward Scissorhands. That's more <laughs> like me, realistically. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at just the purple don. We also have the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon if you are feeling particularly generous and would like to support us over there. Head on over to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Find the tier that's right for you. And subscribe to the It's a Wonderful Podcast channel on YouTube for all the fun streams and discussions and watch-alongs and videos we've got going on over there. Nolan, all your wonderful stuff, where can people find that? You can find it at NolanDean27, Nolan Dean Writer on Instagram, and Nolan Dean right here on YouTube. I've just realized in this video, since we're recording on Streamlabs, the light has gone out and I am starting to look extremely sinister. You Which, always look sinister. Uh, it's the long hair, isn't it? It's kind of blended in there. Nobody can see you. I can see you, but nobody else can see you. Nolan looks very sinister right now. <laughs> Especially yeah. when he's doing his evil laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I will be... If you like following me on Twitter, I'm just talking about storytelling and what it means to me. I am nearly finished with Moonflower Edits. Which Lovely. is a sentence I feel I've said at least fifty times over the course of this podcast. But welcome to being a writer. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, there we go. I think there is only one thing left to do now. I will say goodbye, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of this show. And I will ask no one to do something cool. You don't. You only need one arm to be a swordsman if you've got one good heart to be a swordsman. I don't know where I was going there. Fuck me. I don't know where I was going either. Bye. <laughs> My arm's sore. Don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs>